as was mentioned in the prayers. We don't face a lot of physical oppression in Australia for being Christians. You may have, and some people I think have in Australia, but by and large we're, we're fairly free to live without the fear of physical oppression, uh, particularly if we, if we keep quiet and just mind our own business. But that, that's not always the case, is it? I've been meeting through my uh, work in the university many Sudanese people and there are thousands of Sudanese coming to Australia and you may well have met them and they actually tell quite a different story. They tell about physical hardship that they've suffered uh, from people who are persecuting them because they're Christian. And what do you do in that situation? What do you do when there's been years and years and years of talking and no resolution you're still continuing to live under threat how is it that someone can be saved from their oppressor if their oppressor actually won't let them go there's the time for talking and negotiation there's amnesties that can happen but in the end for people to be set free requires a military response if all the other options have been ignored by the person oppressing the other people. To be saved by God means more than just being forgiven. Being saved in the Bible is certainly being forgiven by God and that's what we've looked at in the first two chapters of Joel. Uh, the consequences of our sins and being saved from God's day. But there's another salvation that Joel speaks about in chapter 3 and that is being saved from those who oppress us. And this is where we are in this part of Joel. We're now looking at salvation, salvation from, for God's people from the nations around them this time. Not salvation from God's coming judgment, but salvation from those nations who oppress them. Well, what is God going to do to these nations? Look at verses 1 to 3. In those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up their land. It says there, in those days... It's talking about when Judah and Jerusalem have been restored. And as we've seen already, this is talking about the time when God's kingdom comes. We saw that last chapter. This is the time of the blessing and the abundance that God is going to bring for his people. And he's saying that when that time comes, it's also going to be a time of judgment for the nations. He says that he's going to bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, valleys in the Bible are often used as a a way of speaking about our experience with God as you might walk through a valley. And so in um, Psalm 23, there's the valley of the shadow of death. In Psalm 84, there's the valley of weeping as pilgrims go to Jerusalem on a difficult journey. In Isaiah 22, there's the valley of vision. And in each of these, it talks about our experience of God in life and it, it's spoken of in terms of walking through a valley. Now here he speaks about the nations being brought down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now the word Jehoshaphat means the, the Lord judges. That's what it means, the Lord judges. And here it's not so much talking about 
individuals being judged what it's talking about are nations being judged the nations of this world now why judge them both well that's what we see in verse 2 we see the charges that are brought against them look in verse um, halfway through verse 2 for they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land they cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes and sold girls that is Hebrew girls for wine that they might drink and then he goes on with these charges against them but the charges are basically harming God's people defiling God's land persecuting God's nation it's interesting that they're not judged in terms of the covenant here I mentioned how Israel was judged in terms of a covenant earlier here when it's spelt out how the nations are judged the basis is how did you treat my people I'm not saying there may not be other aspects to that as well but when the prophets come to explain it in, in Joel in particular this is how the other nations are judged Israel is judged according to the covenant the nations of the world are judged according to how they've treated God's people and I believe that goes back to the covenant with Abraham where God said whoever blesses you I will bless and whoever curses you I will curse and so this is how the nations are judged but we see here that what the nations have done to Israel is to pillage them is to plunder them to not recognise that they are God's people and it's it's a passionate plea by God look at verse 4 now what have you against me O Tyre and Sidon and all you regions of Philistia are you repaying me for something I have done if you are paying me back I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done there's a passion to that isn't there there's this passion that God has because of the love he has for his people we need to remember that, that as Christians, God actually loves us. God loves us. God loves you. And how you are treated by others matters. We mustn't just think that we're stoics suffering here and hopefully we'll make it to the end. It's as we suffer, uh, God is involved in that. God's anger is aroused. We actually see that this picture of God judging the nations is what Jesus picks up for himself. Let me just read you from Matthew 25, the famous parables of Jesus with the sheep and the goats. And you see that this is where Jesus gets his ideas from, from the book of Joel. Matthew 25, I'll go from verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on a throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the peoples from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep. He will put, them on the, he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, we'll just read a bit further forward and we see how this worked. Look at verse 45. I tell you the truth. Uh, he, uh, sorry, he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one, of these least, for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So here we see this judgment that Jesus is bringing and we see the intimacy that it is, that how people treat Christians 
how people treat God's, Christ, God's people is how they treat Christ, is how they treat God. Now, in one sense, that, that's, that shouldn't be that hard for us to understand. If my son was here and you just slapped my son in the face, you've slapped me in the face. Right? It, we're not so individualistic that you can just do something over here and it has nothing to do with me. There's this connection that we have and we are all parts of the body of Christ and how you treat God matters and particularly God is concerned with justice for his people. God cares about how people treat you. You do not have to, you do not have to carry the cross forever. Yes, we may be carrying the cross in this world and enduring suffering, but that's not the end result of it. It's not that we're going to carry the cross forever. We carry the cross here and now. There will come a day when we don't carry that cross, when we're liberated, when we're free from the difficulties around us. And so I want us now just to reflect on on suffering as as a Christian and to see how it affects us and, and maybe think of ways that it is affecting us that we may not be sure of. Uh, as I look around here, I'm sure that all of you would be aware of, of the Soviet Union and how we used to uh, live in fear of the Soviet Union. And particularly through Brother uh, Andrew, we learned about the suffering of God's people under that atheistic regime. Uh, quite unbelievably, I think to most of us, the Soviet Union just collapsed, which was amazing. But Christians are still being persecuted particularly through Islam in today's world. Not only through Islam, but particularly through Islam. The Quran actually teaches in chapter 9, verse 29, uh, Muhammad's great commission. Uh, Jesus sent out preachers into the world. That was his great commission. But Muhammad's great commission was to send out armies. So he's got a very different great commission. It's a helpful thing to compare their great commissions. And part of his teaching in Surah 9, verse 29 is that Christians are not just to be conquered because of what they believe but they're to be made small the Arabic says and so this is why uh, Christians who live in a majority Muslim country have this making small of them as part of what they do so it's quite difficult for Christians to get justice under that system Um, in Indonesia uh, every year Christians are killed and churches are burnt. It's just, it doesn't even really get recorded all that much. I had the great pleasure of meeting a husband and wife, an Indonesian student, Onki and Irene, when they were studying at university. This is about seven or eight years ago now, maybe even more. And I remember Onki and Irene, we were having a talk and I said to him, now, what's it like coming to Australia and what did you have to do? And he said, well, when I came to Australia, I I put all my possessions, I split my possessions between two villages. I don't know if you've ever thought, you can imagine if you know a a, a child or a grandchild who's gone to uni, they probably didn't have to do this type of preparation. But Onki, he he got all of his possessions and he put them between two villages. And he might, might say, why put them in storage in two villages? Well, that was because he was counting his odds and uh, he figured if the jihad that was coming, which was uh, working its way through Indonesia and the government really wasn't doing anything about, there's no justice from the government, as the Muslim radicals were coming down and cleansing the land of Christianity, and uh, he thought, if I have my possessions in two villages, then the chances that both villages will get hit will be pretty small. Right? So you know, one gets hit, okay, I've lost that, but I've still got this. 
And then I was speaking to him sometime later and he was, he was sad and I said, what's the matter? He goes, both villages got attacked by the jihad. So he lost everything. And again, the, the government just didn't really seem to stop it much. Uh, it's currently happening in West Papua uh, with the Islamising of West Papua and it's going to move across Papua New Guinea uh, and keep marching south. And so uh, the West Papuans who are Christian through our missionary efforts in the past uh, are suffering greatly, not at an official governmental level, but just at the, at the enthusiast Muslim militia level. And, uh, and, but the point is that they're, they're, they can generally do that without much trouble. Sometimes they're stopped, but not always. See, for many Christians in the world, there is no help for them. Uh, their government doesn't help them. They just turn a blind eye. In fact, very often in Egypt, if the government does something, then if they defend the Christians, then that actually undermines their Islamic credentials. And so what they have to do is actually, even though they don't particularly want to, the Egyptian government's fairly secular, they have to be firm with the Christians or even harsh with them in order to justify the radicals not taking over them. And so the Christians are the meat in the sandwich. But the governments don't help. The US doesn't help. Australia rarely, if ever, says anything. In fact, very often Australian and US foreign policy uh, actually affects Christians and uh, makes it even worse for Christians. So our governments don't care at all about Christians. They will never say, well, we want to make sure the Christians are looked after. They're not allowed to ask that question. The media has little interest. There are no concerts or bands. There are no cricket matches. Bono doesn't really do anything. Uh, it's, very, it's very popular to, to uh, be talking about poverty relief, but how many, how many times are there relief concerts or help for Christians who are being persecuted? It just doesn't happen. Uh, actually, do you want to tell you about the Barnabas Fund? Have most people heard of the Barnabas Fund? News about them gets around. Um, they gave me a whole lot of brochures. So you can grab these. They're over on the table out there. And what these do is just to help us to know about these brothers of mine. Jesus said in Matthew 25, whatever you did, you did, uh, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for these brothers of mine. And as Christians, we're not just to be ignorant of these brothers of mine, of, the, of, these, of part of Jesus' body. The problem for Christians, of course, is that we can get obsessed with this and be scared and fearful of Islam and give in to the nation of Islam and, 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 and respond in fear. We're not to do that either. We're to, to trust in God, continue in our mission and evangelism, but we're also to be caring for our brothers and sisters. And so I I'd want to encourage you to, to grab some of these and uh, there's a little card out there as well which they've put out about um, how to pray and, and care for Christians being persecuted. Now, I think for us in the Western world, we can hear what I've just said there and, and go, whew, glad I don't live there. It's nice over here, isn't it? But I actually think that we're worse in a different way. Because in the Western world, causing Christians to stumble and give up their faith is happening at a rate that I think has never happened before in history. So at the university... Uh, within the lecturers and the tutorials it is, it, it, Christianity is the whipping post against everything as compared and it's okay to do that to people like me I'm happy for a lecturer to come and have a go at me 
at that. But when he's doing it to my 18-year-old son, who, uh, or your 18-year-old grandchild, who is pretty wet behind the ears, that's a different thing, isn't it? The lecturers can sound very impressive when they're talking to 18-year-olds. And they feel very impressive. See, look at these. They can't even answer my questions. He's 18 years old. Stop being such a moron as they are. Christianity will often be reported in just a negative sense. Or else the people they'll want to interview are the false teachers like John Shelby Spong or someone like him. I actually think that Christians are stumbling at a phenomenal rate in the West. You go to these other countries where life is difficult and uh, the church is actually going forward very often. Not always, but very often it is. I think that there's a huge death toll amongst our children and amongst Christians in the West. And so we need to understand the injustice which is being perpetrated against us not that we're, we're free from physical persecution therefore that's it there's the myth of multiculturalism the idea that we all get to keep our, Christ, uh, our cultures except if you're a western Christian you don't get to keep that culture so everyone else gets to keep their culture but you don't I remember at my school we had uh, the issue of having scripture at school came up and so we, I was on the school council and I said why don't we just have a vote We'll vote on it, ask all the parents. And so we got a, a very high number of parents responding and uh, no, about 96% when we did the maths said uh, that they want to continue it. They thought it was an important part of their culture. But the school just went, no, forget it. So what else would you have where you get a 96% result saying yes and then they just go, no. Well, that's, that's what happens in our multicultural society because in the end... We're not multicultural, we're secular and we're happy for people to have their traditional food. Isn't that food nice? We're happy for people to have that dancing. Oh, isn't that, I love your dancing. I love the special costumes that you wear. Just give up your faith. So that's what multiculturalism means in Australia. At my university, where, um, where I, one of my apprentices one year, he went out and he sent a letter to every lecturer on campus saying... If you wanted to understand Christianity, you can come and talk to the, to the Christian group and we'll give you any information you may need to know. And I think most of the lecturers just went, okay. But there was one lecturer in particular who got really angry at this. And, uh, and he said, we're a secular university. What are you even, you know, why are you even trying to put this information out here? It's a, sec it's a secular university. And uh, my apprentice came to me and said, you know, what do I say? He's saying it's a secular university. And I said, well... Why don't we talk about the great big Buddha that's opposite the university in Hobart and the Buddhist school that's there and the Buddhist tutorials which promote Buddhism and just mention that to him. Uh, the lecturer didn't want to discuss the matter anymore after we brought that up because it, it's not a secular university, it's an anti-Christian university. You can be as Muslim as you like, you can be as Buddhist as you like, you just can't be as Christian as you like. That's just in practice what it means. Now, the university may not like being told that, but that's, that's just what it means. That's how it's experienced. You see, we're suffering in the West. You may be living at peace. You may be doing the extension on the house while your grandchildren fall away. 
but we're suffering. We're, we, we actually need justice. We need deliverance from our enemies and those who are turning us away from God. The nations that are turning us away from God uh, in many ways are persecuting us and we need deliverance from this. We're going to have our second reading now. Joel chapter 3, 7 to 16. So here we see God's verdict. Verses 7 and 8. See, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which I've sold them and I'll return on your own head what you have done. The nations of the world are going to be punished. You'll notice here that there's no repentance. Uh, When we were looking at this in previous chapters, we've seen how God calls people to repent. But when his judgment comes... There is no repentance. Now is the time of judgment. In verses 9 to 11 it talks about proclaim among the nations, prepare for war, beat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. That is, get get ready for the battle of the Lord. Now, your, your punishment varies depending upon who you are. If you're a child, you may say, oh, this child gets smacked or sit in the corner. If you're an individual, you may go to prison. But if you're a nation, God punishes you with warfare. It's one of the ways that he punishes you that we see here. He punishes you, he punishes nations with war. And so he tells all the warriors, all the armies of these nations, to get ready for the attack. So all their their, uh, their farming equipment, turn it into weapons, get ready. I love this one, let the weakling say, I am strong. You know, it's sort of like, uh, I'm going to fight Mike Tyson or someone. And uh, there I am, I'm going to go into the, the ring with Mike Tyson and uh, someone's coming up to me and saying, think positive, Sam. Think positive. Be the fist. Be the fist. It's like it's not going to work, is it? And, and it's, it's almost this mocking that God's saying here. Let the weakling say, I am strong. 
Yeah, I can take God on. I'll be right. Let's rush down into this battle. God's saying, if you want to fight my people, you come and fight me. And so here we see God's personal anger at the nations of the world as God judges those who persecuted him. Again, it's, uh, it's, a scary, it's a very personal thing here, isn't it? It's not that God is saying, you will go to court and in court you will be condemned. And you know, It's actually saying, I'm coming with an army and I'm going to fight you. I will fight you because fighting is actually very intimate. I don't know if you've been in a fight, hopefully not, but maybe growing up you've been in a fight or two. Uh, you know, a, a fight is where the, the people will argue with each other first. People are arguing and then very often shouting and then there's that first push that someone does on the other. And when a, guy, when a man is pushed, he thinks, I've got to push back. And so he'll push back and then it generally finishes with one person being beaten into submission. It's in your face, it's personal, it's not just the courtroom abstract legal justice thing. This is if you persecute God's people, if you cause them to stumble, God is going to judge your nation. God's going to come and fight you. We can often think that um, we're good fighters. I think young men think they're really good fighters. And uh, the young ladies may not realise this, but young men like the action movies because they always think, yeah, I could do that. I could be like Bruce Willis, you know. I could, I could, I could do those types of things. And so they're going, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so we like it because we think, yeah, that, that'd be good. We're too much cowards, really, I think, to, to think of it outside of the movies. But that's what we think. We go, yeah, I, I could probably do that, fall through the plate glass window and through the roof and get up and keep running. Uh, we've got this, this idea that, that and the nations of this world look and say, look at the Christians. Look at them. This is no problem here. This is a pushover. This God they talk about. Well, what is this? Uh, you know, they've got this idea that they're better than they actually are. But look at the judgment when it comes. Verse 11. Come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Bring them, uh, let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will sit to judge all the nations from every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the wine press is full, and the vats overflow, so great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So here's this, this judgment that God brings on the nations and it talks about it as being a wine press full of grapes. And we actually see that in Revelation that it's Jesus who treads this wine press. But what is a wine, a wine press? It's, it's an, an ancient food processor. That's what it is. You, you would put, you have a big vat, you put all the grapes in, you stomp up and down and then the the juice sort of flows out the bottom. So it's a food processor. Now, I've got a food processor at home. I wouldn't want to put my finger in it. But that's what it's saying. It's saying you're going to be food processed because you've attacked God's people. It talks about the valley of decision in verse 14. 
I think you can read that and say, oh, the, the decision to choose God, but it, it doesn't mean that. It's not saying multitudes in the valley of decision in terms of now you've got an opportunity, your last chance. Now, the word decision there is this word verdict. It's God's verdict has been read out. That's what it means. This whole, there is no repentance in this chapter. This is now God's decision. He's trampling the grapes of, uh, of God's wrath and uh, this is the valley of uh, of the verdict of God being read out. So I want to encourage you not to be part of the nations that reject God. In the Bible it's put forward as Babylon. Babylon is that nation that doesn't really persecute God's people but just says, come and join my nation and all the kings of the earth, come and join her. Don't be part of that nation. Be part of God's kingdom. They may well be impressive nations. They may well be strong nations. But they're not nations that are going to last forever. They may shake their fist at God. They may persecute God's people. But the day will come when God judges the nations of this world. We have our third and final reading now. uh, Verses 16 to 21. after God delivers his people from their enemies we see that the second aspect to God's salvation now they are free now they're liberated from their enemies and their sins in verse 17 we see that God will be dwelling there um, they will what does it say here then you will know that I the Lord will dwell there I'll tell you when Jesus comes back when the judgment of God comes you're going to know for sure aren't you and so I know now when this salvation comes when we are delivered from our enemy there's going to be no doubt that God's for us and that's what he's picking up there then you will know that I am with you when God's justice is revealed Jerusalem will be holy the way it should be as a light to the world people won't be invading it she'll be the holy city that she was meant to be the land will flow with produce with milk, with water and wine the mountains it even talks about sorry there's a fountain that's even going to come out from the temple now I think it's picking up figures of speech here isn't it but the idea is that there's going to be this this, uh, from the temple there's going to be a stream of water that's going to flow out we see this in a few of the prophets and it's going to go out to to water the 
acacias, and that's uh, the valley, I, I believe the acacias uh, a tree that live out in the desert type regions and so water is going to go out to the desert regions and bring life out there. We're told in verse 19 that Egypt will be desolate, Eden a, uh, a deserted waste because of the violence done to my people Judah in whose land they shed innocent blood. See the enemies of God are going to be knocked down forever. These nations that persecuted God's people are going to be knocked down once and for all when God's kingdom comes. And again, this is talking about God's kingdom here. When, the, when Jesus returns and he brings God's kingdom and it rules over all the nations of the world, this is what will happen. Now, these visions are picked up in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 19 onwards you can see them there. Verse 19 there, their blood guilt which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. So it's not just deliverance from their friends, we're reminded that there's this forgiveness of sins that the Israelites themselves need which is what caused all the problems in the first place and so God's kingdom and blessing will come for God's people now this is our hope as Christians this is our hope as we live and take up the cross and follow Christ this is our hope as we suffer in the, in the various things of life that this kingdom, this land of flowing with, uh, with wine and milk and honey that, that this is going to come that our enemies will be defeated that our sins will be put away for forever that God will deliver us and this is the hope you need to hold on to you need to hold on to this hope regardless of how difficult life may be this is the hope that Jesus encourages us to store up our treasure for this is the hope that Jesus encourages us to take up the cross for. This is the hope we need to have, that there will be a day when justice will be given to us, when those of us who have lived for God and suffered for it will be given justice in this world. You need to persevere as a Christian in a world that is hostile to you, amongst nations that are hostile to you. And that's why these parts of the scripture are there so that we can be encouraged and reminded that our God has a great future for us. Let me finish up now with a reading from 2 Thessalonians. Just listen to this. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled as well, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who believed. Amen.